it acknowledges this idea that we have to learn how to work together. Yes. At that time, we don't just get that for free out of the box, although we mostly did get that for free when we just said, well, here's your seat now, and this is your team, and go for it. Right. This is the pattern, right? We have to be deliberate about a bunch of things that we were non-deliberate about before. Welcome back to Building Better Games. Today, we wanna to dive into what we can do better in the world of remote work. Our topics for today. The games industry has been struggling with slow progress, delays, bugs, and poor launches for the last couple of years. What's going on? What's the role of production or leadership in a remote world? What tools or kinds of tools are demonstrating to be valuable in navigating remote work? How do you maximize the value of them? Our goal today is to give you practical wisdom about leading in our modern remote world helping you on the journey towards building better games. Let's dive into it. We ended the last podcast and we'd sort of asked this question. We were touching around the idea of the games industry and slow progress, bugs, delays, etc. We've been very good in a remote world at getting a lot of stuff done, but not necessarily at getting the right stuff done. And I think in games more so than many other industries, getting stuff that leads to value done is so crucial. And I would add, I think regardless of whether you agree with that statement Ben just made, it would be foolish of any of us to be like, oh my gosh, we're so good at remote work. The reality is, is we've had all of 18 months to figure this out right now. And we're just starting to learn some of the big lessons here. Yeah. So I, I think going into it with humility and understanding that like we need to develop the tools and capabilities to run our organizations this way moving forward is is a really good attitude to have. And we're going to dig into a lot of that today. To deliver value, we have to build something and it has to be like the right things that create resonance with our audience that come together into a cohesive whole that allows us to deliver something that the players want for games. There is a lot of alignment that has to take place before that can occur. It's not as simple as having somebody write up a bunch of stuff and then cut it up and send it out to everybody to just go make it. There's too many different ways to do everything when it comes to creative work. If we're not interacting with each other and collaborating effectively, if we don't all know where we're going together, the stuff we do individually is less likely to come together into cohesive whole. And so this idea of aligning towards what the value we're trying to create is, aligning towards the vision or the why people are going to play this game that we're making or this feature that we're building for the game or whatever it is, that is always hard, has always been hard, and is now even harder. Because it's harder for us to see each other's work because we're not all sitting together. We tend to only share that work in reviews or if we're checking it into a live build and doing playtests, like that's something that's, I think, much more important than it ever has been. Just because it's harder to gain exposure to the product and to the, what everybody else is doing because of that lack of exposure, alignment deteriorates rapidly and is harder to achieve in the first place. Yeah, I, I see another pattern too, which is like, you know, thinking about the idea of teams versus individuals. You mm -hmm. know, one of the things we've tried to move away from in a creative environment is like that point that we all seem to rush to, which is like, okay, now everybody has their task, now go to work. That we think more about like, how is it gonna come together? What is the thing we're going to be play testing at the end of the sprint or whatever? What is the sort of fun 
gameplay mechanic that we are building together, like when we changed the conversation to that, we got better results. And we started to realize over the years that we had to also approach our teams differently too. Mm -hmm. Like it was an anti-pattern when you went into the sort of daily meeting for your game development team and you saw that no one cared about the big picture. All anyone was waiting for was just to be assigned their task so they could run away and get to work. Yeah. That was a bad thing. Yeah. I think it's worth noting that remote work has pushed us down that path farther. Yes. If you believe that that togetherness, what Ben and I call collaboration, is a critical part of creative game development, then as leaders, you need to be leaning into that way more than you ever thought you needed to in the past. However far you were leaning that before, now it's like 10x. Yeah. And so there's going to be this temptation for people to always be asking, what's the next task? What's the next task? What's the next task? And there's going to be a temptation for you as a leader to be saying, well, I need to make sure everyone has their next task. Yeah. No, what you need to make sure of is that everyone is making something that fits into the player focused objective that we are trying to deliver. And that should be something, should be something testable, like something playable. Yes. That is the objective. And if we can, in a remote world, get to a place where we're, where I love to be, where it's like, I actually don't care what task you're working on. I really don't care. Like, I know that that's, you know, offensive to a lot of producers probably, but I really don't care. Uh -huh. Did the team produce the playable bit that they needed to produce by the end of the spread? Let them figure out the details. Again, I understand that that's way harder now in this environment. Yeah. If I were to highly oversimplify the way I view remote work from this perspective is that it's incredibly valuable and a powerful benefit for the individual and it puts more strain on the team. Yes. It strains the relationships on the team. Yes. And it strains the relationships between the individual and the company. Everything has trade-offs. I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm simply saying that it's harder now than it was before. So then we're back to that question, asking yourself, like, what is your role as a producer? Your role is to tighten that, to be the mechanic that goes in and tightens those bonds as much as you possibly can. Like whatever innovative, clever way or ways you can think of to build that up, you need to do that. And you need to understand that that's going to take a lot more of your time than it did before. Yes. In the old world, collaboration was something, like you said, you could almost assume and if it wasn't there, you kind of viewed the team as dysfunctional. Yeah. You could literally put people together, eight people together yeah. in a room, and there was more of a chance that they would collaborate than not. Yeah. And and if they weren't, you would call <laughs> yeah. it, that's a dysfunctional team. It needs to be yeah. worked on. Yeah. Now the default is not collaboration. Yes. That's something that has to be pushed towards the importance of that collaboration and that, that they, we need to solve creative problems together. It's your job to make sure that's something that's a priority for everyone. And it is, it's a, it's a lot more challenging because yeah, all of those fundamental things that are underlie collaboration, trust, respect, those things you don't naturally develop through direct exposure. And you and I have always prioritized culture, right? In the holistic leadership model, culture is at the base and then product and alignment around those two things specifically. And I think that one of the things I just feel like is super important for everyone to understand is that remote work has clearly enabled us to get more broad and immediate access to talent. 
and has on paper allowed us to be more productive with getting task work done. Mm-hmm. At least that was what was reported initially. Mm-hmm. And it would seem that neither of those things have materially increased our ability to really ship awesome games in a reasonable time frame. Yeah. So judging by, again, what I talked about at the end of the last podcast, the results that we've seen since COVID started. Like, I think that that to me is a strong indicator that like something's off target there. And I think it does, a lot of it does come back to alignment. I always think back to how different it was when I sat right next to the leader I was partnered with versus when I was sitting three rows away. Both were in office. I was shocked at how quickly trust eroded between me and that other leader when we were sitting three rows away versus when we were sitting next to each other. It still blows my mind. When we were sitting next to each other, almost managed it because our direct exposure to what are the challenges you're facing and talking about that and turning and being like, ah, what about this and blah, blah, blah. It helped us stay aligned. It helped us stay aligned about what was important about how we were leading the team and where we were trying to go. And even though we disagreed, we kind of worked through it in the moment versus those things when we were even three rows apart, we just didn't see each other as much. We didn't turn and talk to each other. Those things festered. They became breaks in our in trust. They became questions of competence and respect and all these things. And when that started happening, then we started viewing each other in, I wouldn't say adversarially, but it was definitely like, you're a neutral force and I wish you weren't. I wish you were a positive force for good you're kind of a neutral force and you seem to have your own agenda and it doesn't match mine and I don't know what to do. We all now live in the world where that's a much easier conclusion. And so I love what you said. One of the roles of a leader, it's not like anything has fundamentally changed about what a leader is trying to do. It's just that where you have to focus has changed because the environment is different. Yeah. The more time you spend with somebody, the more likely you are to see them as a complex human being, the more likely you are to and to some extent, trust them or learn whether you can trust them or not, really. And I was never a fan in the office of, well, I'll have one-on-ones with everybody on all of my teams or something like that. A lot of times it was just because it didn't scale. It doesn't scale well. As a leader or producer, find ways to do that. Find ways to have virtual FaceTime with everybody inside of your org or as many as you can on a, as regular a basis as you can manage schedule-wise. And it doesn't have to be one-on-one, by the way. Pull three people in. Have it be random. Talk to them about why you're doing it. Hey, I want to make sure I'm staying up to speed. It's hard in a remote world for me to understand how your life is going. How All I can see to some extent is how work moves in our tracking system, whatever that is. I want to actually know how you're doing. So I'm going, I'm investing this time. And in office world, that used to happen at a team lunch or bumping into someone in the hallway or just walking around in the pit. Anything like that was an opportunity to get a sense of how someone was doing. We now need to create that artificially. It doesn't happen organically. And by the way, I think this has led to people not feeling as much loyalty to their leader or manager or company, we're all three, because they don't trust them as much. And some of that has nothing to do with anybody changing anything. It has everything to do with just, I'm not exposed to them. I don't see the decisions they're making. I can tell myself a ton of stories. They've become simple rather than complex. You want to view them as complex and dealing with a nuanced world that requires judgment and expertise, collaboration to handle and deal with. We have to adapt to that new environment. We have to figure out how to create collaboration and trust 
and an environment where our teams can thrive and deliver real value, we have to do all that through Zoom windows, yep. through Google Hangouts or Meets or whatever, through Teams like Microsoft's whatever. Whatever one you're using, like that stuff matters. So there's this like actively building trust and intimacy actually. Yeah. Like on a human level. It's not just gonna happen. Yeah. You have to prioritize it. It's interesting. I was thinking as you were talking about this, that there is this clear pattern developing, which is this, it sounds obvious, a commodity on togetherness, a commodity on closeness or proximity, a commodity on like these things are now all a commodity and we can't take for granted anything that we got from having a lot of those things in the past. One uh, that's very close to teaching, and I think also very close to what you said earlier about repetition and verbalizing things, is Mm -hmm. the idea of taking it very, very seriously as a leader to have like a high-touch behavioral and cultural calibration that you're doing every day. Mm. So like if you see a behavior that's really, really bad or toxic or damaging Uh, and you uh don't say anything about it, like you don't actually like head on address it, the chances that that becomes poison in the bloodstream due to the decentralized nature of the way everyone's working now is actually a lot worse. Like Uh the chance that it goes like right under your nose and you don't find it till it blows up in your face later on, way higher now. Because like you don't get to walk by that person's desk 15 times a day. You're not in seven other meetings with that person necessarily. So it's like, again, honoring the commodity of time and togetherness and closeness. I think it's really important to build an organization, a culture, and for you to just, again, lots of touch on the proverbial ball there to, hey, that's not the way we handle that here. Yeah. Or, hey, actually, I'd really like to see you do more of this because it's really good. Or like, like constantly like calibrating around your culture and product thinking so that you have more confidence when people are in their silos, that they're operating in a way that's consistent with the company's culture. That I want to double down on this and I've kind of viewed as a leader's role for in terms of establishing culture and the feedback that is critical to that. And I want to go a step further and say, if you miss that window where it happened live and you spotted it and were realized, oh, that's not great behavior, but maybe you realized it after the meeting was done. One of the things I think that the remote world encourages us towards is I'll just shoot a quick Slack message. I'll just shoot a quick Slack message and give them the feedback. Yeah. Feedback is not a one-way communication if it's done well. It's a conversation because it's possible you don't understand and you're giving feedback out of ignorance about something that went well or poorly. And if you were to actually talk to that person when you're giving them that feedback, you would learn that. And so if you have feedback to give someone in the remote world, make sure it's a conversation. Make it live because you want to be able to ask questions potentially about it. You want them to be able to ask questions about it. If you just shoot people messages like, and I'm not saying you don't say, hey, great job in Slack sometimes. That's fine. You give someone some positive feedback or some negative feedback. Sometimes it's going to be fine in Slack, but broadly speaking, lean more towards that being something where you can see them and they can see you because it's really easy to misunderstand critical feedback when it comes in a written format. If you've ever been part of any sort of 360 performance review, you've probably seen this happen. It's just, there's 
so much nuance in how we communicate. There's so much that's more than simply the words typed on a page. Spend the time to do that right, especially if it really matters for culture. Yeah, that's that's a really, really great one. So I want to ask then the tough question, what are those things? I've got a team. I now know alignment, collaboration, uh-huh. trust, respect, shared view of our competence, team output versus individual output. All of these things are important and more important than they've ever been yes. for me to emphasize to this team. Yes. How do I do that as a leader in a remote world? I think one of the things that is trippy about this is like, I don't think I would really change my tune as far as what good looks like before or mm-hmm. after, but I recognize how often I feel like my hands are tied behind my back in this new world when I'm trying to yeah. accomplish those same things. Like I don't, I just don't have a lot of the old tools that I used to have available. And now I have to develop new ones. It's interesting. One of the things that's kept coming up for me in this conversation is facilitation. Facilitation was always this like skill. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go and look up the book, The Art and Science of Facilitation by Marsha Acker. It'll change your life and follow her and understand this discipline that she teaches. Probably the single most powerful discipline as a line leader that you could possibly have. Like, I really believe that. This was something that was almost like a nice to have, this training that we happened to stumble into to become facilitators. And even once we became facilitators, like with this skill set, and and you know, it's like how to go into a meeting with a clear agenda, with an understanding of what good looks like, with a plan, and then drive using specific tools, a group towards that outcome. Uh-huh. You're trying to get them to achieve. That's what facilitation is to me, fundamentally. Sorry, Marsha, if I butchered that, don't resent me. I am your humble student. It's actually interesting, Ben, you and I and our work as consultants, we've been leaning harder into that facilitation skill set on a day-to-day basis since everything's gone remote than I've ever done in my career. And I feel like I used it more than most. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so that it's really interesting because it's like, and it ties to the other thing, which is meetings as a tool. So meetings, I'm seeing a pattern in our industry right now. It's just as people see this drift, the drift of the team, the drift of the alignment, the drift of the focus on the important things. Scheduling meetings is a natural knee-jerk reaction. Well, I need to get everyone, I need to pull everyone back together. So back to what I was saying about tightening those relationships, we'll get everyone together in a meeting. Problem is, is most of those meetings are aimless as they always were. And when we're talking about like what's important, that's a harder meeting to run than a meeting which is like, okay, everybody give me your task updates. Uh The second one is far more deterministic. And so it's interesting because like, I feel like you and I in our, in our attempts to focus leaders on culture and products in this remote world are often using facilitation tools that we do goofy things all the time. Or Miro, we're in Miro every day now. It's crazy. Miro. I remember looking at Miro the first time I used it and being like, what a goofy, silly tool. And now I'm like, I can't imagine a world without it. And it's not just because of remote. It's also because of the realization that I need that to get four executives into a proverbial room and get them talking about how to prioritize their values for the company. Right. Like I have it all staged out. It's going to be step one. And then we're going to go to the second exercise and the third exercise. And guess what output is? I got you all to alignment or to realize that you are not aligned on anything, uh, which is the majority case, unfortunately. But the point I'm trying to make there is it's like, it's a light bulb that's gone on for me in this conversation. 
I'm leaning hard into my facilitation skill set, which is a skill set I know the majority of producers do not have. So that's one answer is, hey, if you're a leader or producer, how do you create more alignment? Be very deliberate about facilitation. Aaron's absolutely right. I, Having been well-trained in facilitation relative, again, to to most people in, in the game production space, <laughs> I didn't use it a ton except in sort of the off-the-cuff, fly-by-the-seat-of-my-pants way, which would offend many people who uh, believe it is a powerful tool. I also believe it's a powerful tool. In this remote world, you're absolutely correct. I've used it a ton more. So I think that's a great one. Lean into that facilitation. Know what you're trying to get. It's not just having an agenda. It's not just saying this is the goal of the meeting. It's actually doing a lot more to frame, what do I want this meeting to feel like? How am I going to get people through it? Yeah, it's almost like building your custom roller coaster ride. Yeah. With that, obviously every roller coaster ride has like speed limitations and safety limitations and all these things on it. And But the coaster ends at a certain place, right? Yep. So you're almost taking your passengers on a journey that is, and again, you may, you don't dictate what that outcome is, like what happens at the end, but you need them to end up there and you need to have the tools and the ability to construct that journey so that they get there. That's to me fundamentally what it is. When I see what's going on there, a well-facilitated meeting is an opportunity for the team to collaborate together around what stuff that matters. 100%. And so it's practicing, actually. We were talking about, hey, how do I help my team now focus on collaboration? I don't get it for free. They're all in their own little offices spread all across the United States or all across Europe or both or whatever. How do I get them to be to trust each other? Well, have meetings where they're engaged. Yeah. Facilitate meetings where they're working with each other about and answering questions together. We always valued that, right? Like we were always thinking an efficient meeting was better than a non-efficient meeting. And non-efficient yep. meetings were always a frustration for us. But now I think the realization for me is that there's an incredibly even higher commoditization of in-togetherness time uh-huh. than, than there was even before. And so now we have to make every single one of those minutes count. And that's literally yes. what facilitation is all about. Exactly. Exactly. I think other things, other like practical tools I would give a leader or producer who's trying to improve trust, improve collaboration, improve that focus on value over just handing out work. Know where you're trying to go, communicate that to the team, and then keep communicating it. Before, we used to have things that we would put on the wall. This is our team mission or vision or whatever, and these are the goals, and here's how it's progressing. We don't have that anymore. Take some of those statements, like find out what your vision is, articulate it clearly, and then have that be on every Miro board or whatever you're using, right? Miro board is just a digital whiteboard. Have that be on your digital whiteboard. Have it be present for everybody to to look at. If you're using a, a board to like brainstorm something, have hey, this is, remember, this is what our team is about. This is what we're trying to do. Have people continually encountering that. And it's going to feel annoying and repetitive and all these things. It's actually really valuable in keeping people aligned. That's why we put stuff on the wall in our physical spaces when we're in an office. There's also this like very deliberate verbalization of those things. Like one of the things I'm also recognizing, which is the other side of this coin you're talking about, is I don't get to see you silently doing your job and watch it from across the room and then be like, oh, wow, Ben seems to really value this. 
Or Ben seems to consistently focus on this thing instead of that thing. I don't get that anymore. Yeah. Now there's this almost this extra burden on you as a leader to come in and be like, I value this and just say it. You know, yeah. and I think that's so, that's such a fascinating part of what you just said. And then also to say it over and over again, which I think was always true. But the new light bulb thing for me there is like you, there's a emphasis on being able to verbalize these things that we often didn't need to verbalize because we do not have the luxury of diffusion anymore. Right. So, okay. So we've got facilitation. We've got basically taking our physical information radiators, figuring out what information we want people to be aligned around and trying to put that concisely in places where people regularly look teaching is one that comes up for me actually i am not a teacher by professions but one of the things i certainly think is true about teaching is to be able to within the time box convey a concept crisply and clearly uh with the hope that the other party like learns absorbs and understands that thing right and, mm -hmm. and regardless of technique there's a deliberateness around that which is like we're going to school now Again, this is another one of those things where it's like time and togetherness are a commodity now. And so it's like, if you're a leader, there may be critical things that your people need to know that you need to teach them. Mm -hmm. There is an old adage, which is like, you really know something once you teach it. Yeah, that's so true. It's going to, if our intention is to teach, if our need is to teach, if the environment requires us to teach, that means now we have to know our shit even better than we did before. Yeah. Because I can't show you anymore. I have to tell you in many cases, right? Right. Um, and so that's something too, where it's like, think about what it means to teach for you as a leader. Maybe another way of thinking about that is what are the things they absolutely need to know and understand and then figure out how you might teach them that. Next thing I want to jump to is if you're a leader, something you can practically do is have some multi-hour block. If your team gets together for a day, it's like, we only come into the office on Wednesday. Great. Have there be several hours on Wednesday where nobody's in any meetings and everybody's just working together in the same space. You will see massive benefit and we'll keep people actually tuned into how each other are working and all sorts of different things. Yeah. Yeah. It's also it acknowledges this idea that we have to learn how to work together. Yes. That, that we don't just get that for free out of the box. Um, although we mostly did get that for free when we just said, well, here's your seat now, and this is your team and go for it. Right. Um, now we actually have to, it's, this is the pattern, right? We have to be deliberate about a bunch of things that we were non-deliberate about before. I want to point to the idea of a game jam. Anybody's ever done a game jam, you have the day or a couple of days and you come together and usually non-standard teams and you try to build something valuable and get it out the door, they're a lot of fun. Everybody in those groups almost always comes together to sit next to each other. They bring their laptops and they bring whatever they need to and they all sit next to each other. And it's because they're working so fast and they're it's quick and dirty and they're just trying to get everything out there and playable. That's so much easier in person because when I hit a blocker, I don't wanna go to Slack, try to schedule a meeting with somebody and have to wait for them to respond. If I'm an artist and I hit a blocker and I'm in a game jam, if I have a tech artist on my team or an engineer who's supporting my tools, I want to be able to be like, hey, I've got a problem over here with blah, 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 and have them be able to come over and support me instantly. In a remote world, that's very difficult. Uh -huh. It involves screen sharing, involves, again, reaching out, connecting with somebody via Slack or some async type of communication like email. Then we have to 
get into the meeting together. Anything you can do to get past those burdens is going to be helpful in this case. I'm not saying that you can't do a game jam remote. In fact, they might be really good practice for what does it look like to be highly collaborative in a remote world and just try to get something done in a day or two or three just to practice what, wow, this is different and it's challenging. If I had the option though, if you said, hey, we, you have to produce something valuable in three days, would you rather be in person or remote? I'm going in person every single time. Yep. And when you think about it, although the circumstances of normal work aren't that intense, a lot of those things apply in our day to day. Being all together in that game jam allows everybody to stay aligned. It allows us to call out questions. It allows us to move, to move fast, to break things sometimes, to move fast, to learn rapidly, to iterate quickly. If you've been in an in-person game jam, it would be harder remote. And so this is why we say, focus on alignment more heavily. Focus on trying to create that type of game jam environment, even in the remote world. What are the things you would do? And you know, it could be all kinds of stuff. It could be that if there's a very important project, maybe you actually all just have a some sort of virtual room that you're all sitting in. And you might be muted or whatever, but you're all sitting in there with, with your headphones on. And if you need something, you just unmute yourself and you say, hey, I just was doing this. It's not as good because you can't have somebody just quickly walk over and look over your shoulder at what's going on in your computer or whatever. But it's better than everybody kind of being isolated in their own bubble in their own office. So that's one thing you can try. It's just that idea of alignment is much is as important as it ever was and is harder to build. So another one, we wrote it down. I want you to talk about this one. Minimize meetings as a tool to spread information. Wait a minute, Aaron, what are you talking about? Meetings are perfect for spreading information. Yeah, so I know we talked a lot about alignment stuff, and I think it is intuitive that people view meetings as an alignment tool. But again, we often don't actually use them for alignment. Like when you sit down and yap with a PowerPoint deck for 25 minutes as like two thirds of the room zones out and looks at their Slack or watches a YouTube video, you're not aligning shit. It's not that people don't value collaborative or facilitated meetings, it's they don't know how to do them. So, so that we talked about this idea of making those meetings matter more using the skills of facilitation, but there's also this, like, don't just knee jerk react by setting up meetings for everything. Yes. Like find other creative ways to keep people aligned and try to actually minimize meetings, pre-scheduled meetings as a method to solve all problems with communication and alignment is just like. I have a hammer, every problem's a nail, don't do it. Yeah. And I I honestly think, interestingly enough, it's actually causing slow as molasses development a lot of times. Like I see organizations where like the meeting load is astronomical, just right. like even well, worse than it was before the pandemic. And that's, I think that's the big thing. I almost wonder if all the time we gained not commuting, we lost in the additional meetings that we had to start having because of the lack yeah. of a sort of organic communication methods by all being in the same office. Yeah. So if you were listening to us up till this point and you were going, got it, I'll schedule that meeting. Got it, I'll schedule that meeting. Actually, no, be very deliberate and very careful about when and how you do meetings. And a lot of this means that, I love the suggestion you had earlier, if there's a bunch of information you want everybody to look at, don't hop into a meeting and look at it together. Yes. There's different ways you could do this. 
You could say, hey, everybody, look at this PowerPoint deck before. Let's face it, a bunch of people won't. Maybe book 15 minutes before the meeting and say, hey, this is a, a dedicated time. We're all going to happen to a meeting. No one's going to say anything. We're just going to review the deck. Everybody take the 15 minutes to review the deck. If you've already reviewed it, you can skip the meeting. But this is just an opportunity for everybody to go through the deck. Because what I want to do is collaborate about the content of the deck I created. I don't want to just give you a presentation about it. And so I want your questions. I'm going to be asking questions. Does it make sense? What are we missing? That's where we want to be. We don't want to spend, if I have an hour-long meeting, I don't want to spend 50 minutes of it giving you the presentation and then 10 minutes of it trying to somehow get all of what you have to offer me around that because you're in the meeting, so presumably it's important to you. In the last 10 minutes, it's not going to work. Instead, have people review the content first, send it in an email, send it in a Slack, send it in whatever, and then have the time where we actually get to talk about it because it's more important for us to be in conversation with each other than ever before because it doesn't happen organically. Yeah. We hear a misconception constantly as we work with clients and other game developers, which is things are going slow, things aren't working, there's too many bugs, people are focused on the wrong stuff, like whatever the symptom is. And the response from the leader or leaders is, we have clearly failed to get the right information to the right people. And I'm like, that's a big jump. And and again, there, and I, we hear the word communication. Well, we have poor communication or we need to communicate better. And it's just like, what, communicate what? Like this is a, like the, a more important question than whether or not communication is good is what is important to communicate. Because if we're just sitting in meetings talking about stuff, and, and, usually, and even worse, if it's a manager or a leader talking to a group of people who, again, are tuning out or zoning out, this I see this all the time. It's just, it's not helpful. And yeah. all, all you're doing is jamming up the system with a bunch of bureaucracy, trying to desperately get control of a situation where you feel like you've lost control. Like if, for example, people seem to be focused on the wrong stuff, then plan out a meeting with facilitation tools where you can take them on a journey of figuring out A, whether they know it's important or not, B, solidifying what is important, and C, getting everyone to sort of put their hands in the proverbial team circle to say, hey, okay, cool, we're gonna focus on these three things. Build that, plan that on your own time before pulling everyone else in, and then get everyone else in that and try to make that as focused and time efficient as possible. Yeah. Like that's what to do. This is also a challenge you could say against like we talked about a lot of alignments well line about what exactly that's your job as a leader what is it that you need to communicate what is it that you need to align around you need to be figuring that out and so if you're having a bunch of people in your organization just saying well we need to communicate more we need to communicate better it's meaningless to some it's like cool it's a nice it's like a truism we could all communicate better yep i could open up a storybook right now and start reading a tale to you all, and I'm communicating technically. It's nothing you want to hear. It's not useful to you. Yeah. It don't just say I need to communicate more. We need to communicate better. Understand what it is that's not being, like what information isn't making it across the gap? What isn't being understood? How would we do that better? Sometimes repetition is very helpful. Other times everybody just shouting louder and louder when someone doesn't understand in the first place is only making things worse. And then, yeah, it's it's literally the world we all live in with social media right now. It's like, yeah. what, like the question of what does the world look like when there is a overabundance of information and the vast majority of it is not valuable to you in this moment? 
we all know what that world is like. It's incredibly difficult from a signal to noise ratio to be yes. effective in that situation. So the idea that more availability of information is a good thing by default is incredibly erroneous. Think about what it is that you're trying to communicate and what you want people to hear and understand first and then communicate. Yes. And then it also opens up ways to do this because if you're like, huh, the thing I think that we don't know that we should know is, I don't know, the priorities, the most important features within this piece of the product. Cool. Now, you know, that's what I need to communicate. How will I do that in a way that makes sense? That's relevant to the people I'm talking to. There's a lot more thought you have to do as a leader because as Aaron said, time together is now a much more precious commodity. We don't get a bunch of it for free because we're all sitting next to each other. So you have to suddenly be much more thoughtful about how are we using that time and your job like as a leader or as a producer that falls on you more so than anybody else on your team you're the one who's thinking about that you're the one that's supposed to make these this team or this group or this org or whatever more effective you have to be spending the time going huh what are the most important things we should do because and you can't say everything you can't just be like well we'll just have we'll just constantly be communicating and spreading information and sending reports and no they need a lot of time also they need the most time in the majority cases to actually get the work done that leads to value. Yeah, it's, it's hard right now. And it's good. Like we're being tested, we're being challenged. Like if you can create value in this environment, you can create value in any environment. Um, that's one of the really cool things. And if you were unable to create value before, you're definitely unable to create value now. So figure out what it means to actually create value for the teams you're working with and your eventual audience. And you will, you're going to be flying. Like you're going to be helping, te your team's going to, Really appreciate it. So to wrap up our series on remote work, today we talked about the new remote, hybrid, and sometimes in-person reality that we live in and what you can do better as a leader and producer to help your organization build better games. We also covered some tools and some practical tips about what could be useful. Some overall key takeaways. Invest even more heavily in building and maintaining alignment. We used to get a lot of this for free being in person in the office, and that is no longer true some tools that will help you build alignment, things like facilitation, deliberately teaching, thinking about what matters most to your team and putting that somewhere where everybody can see it in every meeting or all the time. So repetition of, of seeing what's most important. Having a high touch with the behavioral and cultural norms uh, and calibrating that. Do that verbally. Don't give feedback just in Slack here or there. Actually spend the time to give people positive and constructive slash negative feedback or criticism, whatever you want to call it, take the time to do that well, to do that right. And then engage with more direct interactions with people to build trust and intimacy. You don't get this organically in the office. Have one-on-ones or one-on-twos or one-on-fives. Talk to people, understand what their world is like. Try to stay connected to their reality and help them actually understand a little bit of yours too. Don't overwhelm them with all of your problems, but help them understand what it is you're doing and that you are advocating for them. It will help develop that trust. Next, be deliberate about what your teams are doing when you do get together because the default of meetings and R&R may not be as useful as just sitting together and working collaboratively. Next, minimize meetings as a tool to spread information every time you realize you need to spread information. Sometimes they are inevitable, but time together, virtual or not, should be spent collaborating first. 
hear throughout this collaboration, collaboration, collaboration. When teams seem slow, unfocused, or the wrong stuff is getting made, don't assume communicating more will fix it. Instead, focus on how to get your teams to collaborate and talk about what's important. Okay, thanks for listening. Till next time. If this episode helped you today, please take a moment right now to rate us wherever you are listening. Go to your platform, give us however many stars you think is fair. It really helps us out. It's a small thing you can do if you've been enjoying these for a long time or if you just got into them. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know how we can make it better. So looking forward to that. But yeah, go and rate us. It really helps us out. All right. I will see you later.